Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today, for episode 259, my guest is Whit Gibbs of Compass Mining, and we're talking about his background in mining, how the mining market is developing, as well as how individuals can get more involved. First, a message for the sponsors of the show. Lend at HodlHodl is a non-custodial Bitcoin-backed lending platform, so you can lend and borrow globally and anonymously. Don't have your money lying around? Lend it and earn attractive returns if you've got stable coins. HodlHodl's lending allows you to earn 25% APR on average, one of the highest in the market. There's also no need to sell your Bitcoins even if you are short of funds. This is a way to get some fiat stablecoin liquidity without the need to trust your part, your money to any one individual. On Lend at HodlHodl, your BTC collateral always remains locked in escrow. Lend at HodlHodl is a Bitcoin DeFi allowing peer-to-peer lending and borrowing directly between its users. With HodlHodl's Lend platform, you set your own terms and you put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and the interest rate. Go and check it out at lend.hodlhodl.com. Cyphersafe.io are the creators of the Cypher Wheel product. So if you have a Bitcoin hardware wallet and you've got that BIP39 seed, the 12 or 24 words, make sure you've got that backed up in a way that is fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, petproof, and tamper evident. The cipher wheel comes in a wheel shape and it masks the words of your seed and you slide in the, the tiles of the letters for each word and it also has a padlock tamper evidence seal so you know if it has been opened. Make sure you or your loved ones can access those bitcoins if an accident occurs. Go and order yours at cyphersafe.io and use the code LAVERA. Compass is an online marketplace, making it easier for everyone to mine Bitcoin and enhance the Bitcoin network's security. The anti-cloud mining option, Compass helps you buy your own ASIC and secure hosting at great facilities around the world. For years, we have all heard that mining is only profitable if you're investing tons of money. But now, with Compass, everyone is able to tap into economies of scale and access reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates. And if you are unsure about how to get started with mining Bitcoin, Compass offers hardware and hosting bundles, which eliminates the need for advanced technical knowledge and allows you to quickly get started. Visit them at compassmining.io and start mining Bitcoin today. On to the show. Wit, welcome to the show. Stefan, thanks for having me on. I appreciate this. I've been a long time listener. It's good to be on the show. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I like what you're doing uh, over at Compass Mining and I thought it's time to get you on the show and we'll talk about it and hear a little bit from you. So just for anyone who doesn't know who you are, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I am the co-founder and CEO of Compass Mining. Compass is a Bitcoin mining marketplace. Basically, our goal is to help as many people as we can have access to mining Bitcoin, right? We've heard for many years that the Bitcoin mining network needs to be decentralized. Uh, We think more about it being democratized, and that is giving everyone the ability to mine Bitcoin. And that's really our mission is we just set out every day to help everyone get started, whether they're a big miner or a small miner, we want to help them start mining Bitcoin and help distribute and secure the Bitcoin network. Right. And I think the typical story for a long time has been, oh, you're new, you shouldn't be doing it, you need millions of dollars to get started. Is that true? Or is that changing now? You know, that is what I kept hearing. And for me, I'm just one of those guys that like, if you tell me I can't do something, I want to find a way to do it. And that's really how this all came to be is I heard you had to have a lot of capital. It was a very hard process to get into. You had to have a a big network in China with the distributors. Uh, So, you know, my co-founders and I, when we set out, we were just trying to figure out how could we overcome this? Because certainly there are people who aren't millionaires who want to mine Bitcoin. I mean, we weren't millionaires and aren't millionaires. We wanted to mine Bitcoin, right? So uh, that's really, I think, the narrative change that's occurring right now is it's been for years that, you know, you had to have a million plus to get into the game. And it's really not the case. You know, if you want to just buy one ASIC and get it set up somewhere, now you can do it. Yeah. And I think the other one is that there has been so many scams in the space, right? So cloud mining, right? So how, I guess, for people who are new, and maybe you haven't seen this in the space, historically, and even today, there are probably still a whole bunch of cloud mining scams out there. And unfortunately, it is a space rife with scams. And there are some legitimate players in the industry. So can you tell us a little bit about how you're thinking about that and how you explain the difference between you know, cloud mining and legitimate mining? Yeah, so cloud mining is one of those things where, I mean, like you've got Genesis mining who, I mean, clearly they're not a scam, um, but it's it's uh, it's not often favorable. You know, if you're in a bull market, everyone's making money at everything. So it's 
its chances that you're going to buy into anything, whether it's cloud mining or mining or really just buying Bitcoin and holding, you're going to make more money. That's going to, your value is going to appreciate. But with uh, the way that we look at it is it's not really mining, right? Because you don't own your hardware. So it opens you up to the opportunity to be scammed because you have people on the, you, you know, the counterparties, the people on the other side of this who they can sell you anything. And because you don't physically own the hardware, you have no way of protecting yourself. Right. If I sell you a cloud mining contract, basically what I'm saying is, OK, I have hardware that's hosted in some facility and I'm just going to transfer you the Bitcoin associated with the hash rate that you're purchasing. Now, if Bitcoin's price goes up, Bitcoin's price goes down, you've committed to a contract that you're locked into and you're generally not going to benefit from the big price moves. You know, whereas with mining, you have an asset in the ASIC that's correlated to the price of Bitcoin. So, you know, like take this year as an example, right? People who were buying ASICs in October 2020, they're buying them for a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks. Now those same ASICs are worth three, four, five, ten thousand dollars, and they've mined the Bitcoin associated with it. So you've got that, you know, double benefit of of being an actual miner versus a cloud mining. Of course. And I think with Bitcoin mining, it seems to be very much a case where obviously the ideal case is to get into it during the bear market, because at that point, nobody wants the Bitcoin mining equipment or relatively less people want the Bitcoin mining equipment. And potentially it's easier to get the relevant deals done in terms of power sourcing and things like that. So can you maybe explain some of that dynamic where, you know, maybe people get a bit exuberant in a bull market and then they're running to things and they're kind of overpaying for things compared to relatively in the bear market, but uh, and not having the expertise needed to actually make it work for the long term? Yeah, well, I mean, look, FOMO is real, right? Like we all get it. You know, you see you see Bitcoin at 3,500 and maybe it's attractive to you. Maybe you're not really hip to the game and it's not, it's a scary thing. But then when Bitcoin's at 50K, everybody wants to buy, right? That's when we start getting the messages from all of our friends and family about how do I get into this? It's the same with everything. Subconsciously, we're programmed to buy at the top of the market, right? And what we try to do at Compass is we guide people like, okay, give in a little bit to your FOMO. Like, you know, Bitcoin's at $54,000 right now, maybe buy an ASIC, but don't spend all of your capital on ASICs right now. You know, string this out. Let's let's assume that you're going to be mining for the rest of your life, right? You're going to be supporting Bitcoin's network for the rest of your life. So deploy some capital now and start mining, but save some up for price swings. Like if the price drops 20 or 30,000, these Bitcoin ASICs are going to be less expensive. Buy two or three times as many as you would buy right now, right? So it's all about just structuring that. And really, I think people are getting, they're getting smarter. You know, we've seen a couple of these cycles now, you know, people understand that when the price of Bitcoin turns down and, and we see a price, a price drop, should we see a price drop, uh, that these machines are going to be less expensive. On the flip side of that, though, I mean, it seems to be right now, like every time the price drops 10 to 15%, there's a lot of buyers that are stepping in and not many sellers to, you know, fill those orders. So it's really hard to project that we're going to dip down too much lower, but I'll knock on some wood just in case. <laughs> of course. And it is a very interesting dynamic as well, because there's all these different moving parts, right? So obviously, the price of Bitcoin is a very important part. The price of electricity is an important part. The price of mining equipment, how reliable that mining equipment is. What are some of the key, I guess those are probably some of the key inputs, right? So maybe if you could spell out what's the impact of some of these different inputs on a person's decision when they want to become a miner? Sure. So if you're looking at getting into mining, really, there's four major inputs, right? You've got your, your CapEx, your OpEx, you've got the price of Bitcoin, you've got the price of power, right? And your, your CapEx is your upfront cost. What's it going to cost you to build a facility, buy your equipment? Your OpEx is your monthly expenditures, right? What's it going to cost you to maintain the operation of your machines, whether it's repairs or staffing or whatever that may be? Then you've got your power costs, which is pretty straightforward, right? Your buying the power that's going to you know make your machines cash and mine Bitcoin for you. Uh, and then you've got the price of Bitcoin, which you know is a variable that is not within our control. So when you're looking at a market like now, the beautiful thing is that there's an abundant amount of cheap power, right? Um, because of COVID, because of people working from home, because of less people just being out and about, uh, there's a lot of companies, there's a lot of, uh, of industries that they're not able to consume the power that they once did, which of course changes the supply and the demand and drives those prices of power down. And we're seeing now that there's a ton of abundant cheap power. The challenge now though, is, is there enough hardware to support it, right? Because that's the other thing is 
where do you get the ASICs? And Bitmain, What's Miner, InnoSilicon, all of these companies, they're working really hard to meet the demands. Um, but you know, the real reason that we're seeing the prices on these machines skyrocket is because there's just not enough supply. I mean, there's just, you know, what are you going to do if if you cannot get machines? Um, and you know, it's been it's been interesting to navigate in these markets because we've been very fortunate. We've got a good network in China that helps us to keep supply up. Um, but we're seeing tons of very big miners that are just not able to secure enough hardware to meet the you know capacity that they have available to mine Bitcoin. Yeah, so that's a really interesting dynamic that I have heard of where essentially the Bitcoin mining manufacturers, so people like Bitmain and What's Miner and so on, they are competing for space in the chip fab. And so, and as I understand, there's a bit of a variability in that uh, demand because of obviously Bitcoin has gone through these boom and bust cycles, if you will. And so then what's happening over at, say, the TSMCs of the world, the Taiwan uh, Semiconductor Manufacturing uh, Companies of the world, they have been more like, oh, you guys are a bit too variable in your demand. I would rather sell that space to you know, NVIDIA or something like that. And I guess it's kind of that dynamic that's making it hard for uh, Bitcoin miners to go and create more, to build more ASICs, which in turn allow, you know, everyday people like you and me and others to actually, if we want to mine Bitcoin, to buy the mining equipment. So that's what we're seeing. This mining equipment price is just going through the roof right now, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you've got TSMC and, you know, their biggest clients, one of their biggest clients is Apple. And, you know, every Apple product has a chip, you know, and we all have an Apple product in our home. I mean, I'm talking to you on one, I'm wearing one, right? Uh, and then the other major fab is Samsung. And of course, Samsung is a massive player. So not only are you know we competing, these, these Bitcoin ASIC manufacturing companies, companies competing to get the allocations with each other, they're also competing with the biggest international companies that are out there. And as we get to a, a place where you know everything has a, a chip, everything is smart now, right? Like before you could walk in your house and like your refrigerator didn't need a chip and your stove didn't need a chip, but now everything does. If it's a, any device in your house is gonna use these smart chips. So we're now competing and, and Bitmain and MicroBT are now competing with these different massive industries. And of course, if you're TSMC or you're Samsung, who are you going to give your allocation to, right? You're not going to shun Apple for Bitmain. You got to give it to your, you know, you got to give it to your biggest clients, um, which is why I think a lot of people are excited to see that, you know, TSMC is building a factory in Arizona and Samsung is going to be opening a, another factory in the States. So it's hopeful that, some of the allocation that's being manufactured at these facilities is going to go to Bitcoin miner, mining ASIC manufacturers. Hopefully, we'll see. Yeah. And so I guess what we're getting at there is that if you are an individual getting into this space, not having the networks, the relations built up, the knowing who to go to, where to buy it, how to buy it, the logistics, those elements can be challenging for somebody who's new to the space. And you might end up overpaying relative to going to, you know, using a partner who can help you source the equipment in an appropriate way and in a cost effective way, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're a smaller player in the game, it's nearly impossible to be able to to source hardware for yourself. And that was really the onus for us as we were getting started is we wanted to be able to provide this collective buying power for smaller, smaller miners, right? Like we're able to group together, you know, a lot of small orders and then make a big order with a Bitmain or a large distributor so that we can then pass on those cost savings, you know, because the alternative is, I mean, there are people that sell one ASIC, um, but you're going to be paying a hefty premium, which of course turns and, and digs into your return on your investment and your ability to, to profitably mine Bitcoin. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It's a very difficult thing. If you don't have an established network, it's nearly impossible to, to get started mining on your own. And I think that's really why most people just, they, they may consider it, but then they immediately stop. Because it, as you start to dig down the rabbit hole, you get so many no's before you ever get to a yes that it's disheartening. Yeah. So then some of the other difficulties I can think of if you are just thinking like you're an individual and you just want to try and do home mining, uh, you've also got to think about factors like uh, noise and heat. And these are all, you know, depending on what, what your home, if you're going to do it at home, well, then have you got somewhere you're going to do that? I mean, you're not just going to have it in your home and <laughs> these, these things aren't 
quiet, right? And, uh, you know, sure. our families or friends might not be, um, you know, comfortable <laughs> with that. <laughs> so I think these are all factors that we have to think about then for, right. you know, that retail individual who wants to, um, you know, be able to contribute in terms of security and potentially they want to try and earn some uh, Bitcoin as well. So um, it might also be good to just talk about, you know, from an ROI perspective. I think that's also been really interesting to see over the last few months. We've seen a few people try and do the home mining thing and say, hey, I found some people on Telegram chat groups and I ordered the Bitcoin miner and I set it up in my garage and I found some cooling or I found some way to deal with the noise. And because of the price run up, a lot of them have actually ROI'd very quickly, right? They made back their money very quickly, right? Yeah, it's right now. And as I mentioned before, is in a bull market, everything is profitable, right? So your break even on your power price is higher. You can mine at a higher price per kilowatt hour. And it seems like it's it's working, right? But we get a year down the road and maybe now you're losing money every month from mining. I mean, there's a reason that people who do it at an industrial level, they set certain like benchmarks for what they're willing to pay for power. And then they don't pay above that. Um, you know, most home, I can only speak for the States, but most home miners in the States are paying between 12 and 14 cents per kilowatt hour as like a national average. And there are machines that will allow you to turn a profit right now if you're mining at that. But once hash rate increases, once, dip, once difficulty increases, your machines are just not going to net the same that they did. Uh, and it's no longer going to be a profitable game. And if you haven't already ROI'd, now you're, it's basically sunk costs, right? Because uh, once that market turns on you, you're really never going to be able to ROI on those machines if you're paying too high of a power price. And that's, you know, it's something that I think we take for granted, right? We, we take for granted the fact that like what's going on today is probably going to keep going on forever when in reality, that's generally never the case, right? So... Yeah, I see. Yeah, so I guess there's a few different dynamics here. So one is Bitcoin has what's called a difficulty adjustment. So as more hash power comes to the network, the difficulty rises, meaning your mining equipment yeah. becomes less uh, profitable in a sense. And so, but right now, as we were saying earlier, there's kind of this shortage, if you will, in the ability to create new Bitcoin miners. So it's kind of like there's like a ceiling or a cap on how much higher the difficulty can go just for now until that sort of supply blockage, if you will, gets alleviated a little bit, right? You know, it's crazy. Uh, this is, it, it's a very unique time in the market. Obviously, we've never seen Bitcoin's price where it is, but also this is like a, a golden period for miners because Difficulty isn't increasing right now. Like the last epoch, difficulty dropped. It should be increasing. Everyone's saying like, hey, look, it's, it should be increasing. But you get, you know, the news out of Inner Mongolia that they're going to be uh, regulating or increasing the prices for crypto miners power, Bitcoin miners power. And, you know, that causes hash rate to drop because those people have to move. And you know, you've got like 10% of Bitcoin's hash rate located in Inner Mongolia. Uh, so that allows others to keep mining profitably, even though that you know there's tons of people that are ordering machines. For some reason, they're all not coming online, and it's a big quandary. We talk about this internally in our mining groups. It's like where where are these machines? You know, you hear all the time that like so and so's ordered multiple thousands or tens of thousands of machines, and they're spaced out over a year or so. But still, some should be coming online, and it just it makes me wonder if you know people are buying these machines without building their facilities. Maybe they're just sitting on hordes of machines and you know one month we're going to see a massive spike in hash rate and difficulty but we've really kind of stayed steady for the past few months and and it's been i mean it's been great as a miner like you're you're making good money um but you're just kind of waiting for that hammer to drop you know yeah yeah because eventually like so it could be that maybe some less experienced miners have bought equipment and they haven't been able to plug it in yet or maybe or maybe they were more like let's buy it now while we still can and plug it in when we can aspect and maybe they so they've got all these miners that are literally not being plugged in yet and obviously this is they're leaving a lot of money on the table to do that so i guess it's a funny dynamic there but it's i think to the point you were making though is that this is like a golden age right now because you want to be careful because you want to make sure you're staying within the reasonable ranges that are right. conservative like so even if we weren't in a crazy crazy bull market would you still be profitable and i think those are some interesting sort of points maybe if you could outline you know what like when you're not in a crazy bull market 
golden age, what are some of the typical levels people would be looking at, at least historically, like from a power perspective and, and like the unit, the mining uh, equipment perspective? Yeah, we always, you know, when we were putting together <clears throat> bundles for newer miners, our benchmark is to try to help them return on their investment in 12 months or less. Right. I mean, Bitcoin's price is going to do what it does, but we look at a couple of key metrics to make sure that we're setting them up for some for success as best as we can. You know, one of those is the power price. We want to make sure that they're as close to six cents per kilowatt hour or less as possible um, on Compass's site. You know, we we have a very hefty screening process for facilities that want to list. Basically, anyone that comes on the site and tries to list at seven cents is an auto reject for us because we just see that as you know people trying to capitalize on the bull market. They're going to end up locking people into contracts that are unfavorable, and that's just not what we're about. Um, and then the other side of that is the, the hardware cost for newer miners. We try to to work out secondhand hardware deals that have some kind of guarantee, but that are going to come in at a more favorable price per terahash, right? So you know, like our our first bundle that we ever put together was with S17s. And S17s are like notoriously the worst ASICs that Bitmain ever released, right? Um, but we had a very good guarantee that we were able to get on them. And the people who bought those in October, they ROI'd on those machines in 90 days, right? So, I mean, for us, that was a huge win. For them, it was a huge win. Uh, and we've just kind of tried to continue that trend, like finding good value that we can then pass on to people who are getting started. Because like your first couple of machines it's a learning process, you know, and like, unlike college, we don't want to make it something that riddles you with debt forever, right? It's, it needs to be a learning experience that you can, you know, you can enjoy and you can come out of profitable. Um, so that's what we're always focused on. When people are looking now at, at getting into hardware, it's just very important to stay cognizant of where we're at in the market. Like the exuberance can overtake you very quickly. Um, and while I think that now is as good of a time as any to get into mining, it's just, you know, you, you crawl, then you walk, then you run, right? You got to pace yourself and get into it slowly. Yeah, yeah, that's a good um, analogy. And I mean, we often use that when we're teaching Bitcoin newbies about self-custody, right? We say start with a phone wallet, then get a hardware wallet, and then, okay, now start thinking about like multi-signature and more advanced things. So I guess this is maybe a good way then, like what are some of those steps in the mining world? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is that you need to have someone that you can lean on for advice, right? Because mining is, it's cutthroat by nature. You know, if you were coming into the market with $100 million, chances are you would not be able to find anyone that would give you advice because you would basically be the person that's about to wreck difficulty for them, right? Uh, but, you know, with us, we don't really self-mine. Like Compass is not in the business of competing with our customers. We're here just to help people get started. So we're keen on that. We want to make sure that like when you come in, how do you set up a, a pool account? How do you get your wallet connected? Where should you look to source hardware? Where's a good place to host it? We want to be your Sherpa of sorts to get you, you know, up the mountain so that you can mine Bitcoin profitably. I mean, it's very important to have that per that person or that that party you can rely on. Um, and it's, you know, in such a cutthroat business. Uh, it's very rare that you're going to be able to find a ton of credible sources of information, or at least that would be what a lot of people have you believe. But there are so many really great people in the mining community that are willing to at least get you started, give you some kind of tidbits of information that will help. You just really have to be ready to study. If you're just coming in with money and you expect that you're going to make money right away, it's not going to happen. You have to have a willingness to really dedicate yourself to learning, just like with anything with Bitcoin, right? Because one misstep, right? put your keys in the wrong place, lose a wallet, anything like that. And you're, you're stuck. You know, this is, this is a, a beautiful opportunity in as you know, Bitcoin is, but it's very unforgiving. You know, if you make a misstep in any aspect, um, there are definitely fallbacks to being your own bank, certain pitfalls. Of course. And I think, yeah, it's just like Bitcoin. Like you have to just, sometimes you have to get your hands dirty and make a mistake and then learn that way. Because sometimes you know, someone can guide you and they can try to put guardrails there and try to steer you in the right direction. But sometimes you just have to make a mistake before you've really learned it properly. And that's unfortunate. No, I've got to ask you, man. So yeah, somebody comes to you and they're new, they're green, right? No experience. What's your first step to guide them into kind of getting into things? 
Well, for me, I'll say, hey, buy a small amount and start learning. And I might set them up on a phone wallet and say, hey, do you want to buy, you know, 20 bucks or something like that? You know, just a small amount just to kind of get them started. And it might be just a small amount on a lightning wallet, right? Just because of on-chain fees, etc. And then I'll sort of tell them, hey, you need to start listening to my podcast or start reading, you know, read VJ's Bullish Case for Bitcoin, read Safetyn's The Bitcoin Standard, read Parker Lewis, uh, you know, um, watch what's going on in the space and then ask me your questions as you go. You know, that's kind of how I typically, if I'm, talk, if I'm talking to a total new coiner uh, or a pre-coiner, uh, that's basically the kind of the guidance step I'll give them. But within the mining world, it's another whole sure. thing, right? Because, and this is an area where obviously I'm not as, um, I'm more, I'm like a Bitcoin generalist, right? I can't be as especially uh, knowledgeable about mining as you are. Um, so I guess that's kind of a funny, uh, yeah, that's kind of just the way it goes, right? Um, and I think, you know, there'll be all these little dynamics and things that I wouldn't understand. Like, uh, you know, as an example, let's say understanding that being a miner is not the same as being a mining pool. And then when you're a miner, you sign up with a mining pool and then you're having a payout and you're getting payouts from that mining pool. And now if you want to, you can repoint your hash power to a different pool. Let's say if you don't like what they're doing or maybe you're getting a better deal somewhere else. These are some of the dynamics that, you know, you have to learn about when you're becoming a miner. Yeah. Well, listen, you bring up a great point because, I mean, we we really believe in this idea of your hash rate under management, right? If you look at some of the biggest wealth managers in the world, the biggest funds, their metric is assets under management, right? Well, if Bitcoin is the most important asset class of our generation and you're a miner, your hash rate that you personally have under management, it's power. Because like you said, like yeah, we vote every day with our spending dollar, miners vote with their hash rate. If there's a company that's doing well, like Let's say you want to mine with Slush Pool or Luxor or F2 Pool or one of these notable mining pools. You point your hash rate in their direction. And by doing that, it's a vote of confidence that they're going to do right by you, right? But you have the ability to shift that. You have the ability to move your hash rate to wherever you'd like or to self-mine if you're big enough. And it's important to know that like everyone has that power. And for us, getting more people to mine is putting like literally putting power back in each Bitcoiner's hands. Because if not, we're basically relying on like 20 people to control all of Bitcoin's network, you know, because I mean, that's that's really what it's becoming if we don't start to kind of take that back and reclaim some of the power that I mean, was once only in the quote unquote little guy's hands, right? Greetings, Stefan Levera fans. This is Dread here, and I have some big news to share. Swan Bitcoin's new private client services division is open for business. So last August, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor kicked off the trend of companies buying Bitcoin for their balance sheets. A flood of high-profile investors and companies have joined him. Names like Paul Tudor Jones, BlackRock, Square, and Tesla. Swan Private exists to meet the massive international demand from thousands of companies, family offices, and high net worth investors from all around the globe. If you're thinking of buying between 100,000 and 100 million US dollars worth of Bitcoin over the next year, visit swanbitcoin.com private. That's swanbitcoin.com private. Fill out the onboarding form or email the CEO personally, corey at swanbitcoin.com. That's C-O-R-Y at swanbitcoin.com. Respect fans and one love. Coinkite.com are the creators of my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, the Cold Card, one of the most recommended hardware wallets by Bitcoiners. It has all these features like the ability to use it completely air-gapped. You literally never have to plug it into a computer. You can plug it to the wall or to one of those phone power banks or get a cold power. You initialize it and then you shuttle that wallet over to popular wallets like Spectre Desktop, Electrum, Sparrow, Blue Wallet to do air-gapped transactions. The Cold Card also offers a range of other features like the ability to add your own entropy. It also recently has some new firmware using Libsec P256K1. They offer deterministic builds. They've got an address explorer. You can use passphrases. There's all sorts of features. Go and get yours at coinkite.com and use the code LAVERA for a discount. Unchained Capital are building Bitcoin native financial services on a foundation of multi-signature. You can go to their website and create a multi-sig vault, meaning you can hold two of the keys and Unchained will hold the third key in that scenario. So you can separate your keys and get some additional security benefit in doing so. Now, if you want help setting that up, they offer a concierge service. You can pay a fee and have 
two hardware wallets shipped to you and video calls done to teach you and help you through that process of setting up the wallet and creating the multi-sig vault, as well as depositing $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault. So that's a service available there. And if you use code Lavera, you get a discount on that. Also, Unchained Capital offer an OTC desk, and they also offer advanced business accounts. So if you are a business looking to hold your own Bitcoin keys and move your corporate treasury to Bitcoin, well, this is a great choice for you also. Go to unchained-capital.com to find out more. Back to the show. Yeah, that's a really good uh, point you're making there because it's not purely an ROI play in some ways. In some cases, it's more like a you might want to defend your investment. So even if you are a large Bitcoin hodler and you've never gotten into mining, you might think, well, now I want to actually defend my investment to some extent. And even if it's not purely an ROI perspective, I want to ideologically mine or I want to kind of defend the system in some sense. And it might make sense like, okay, maybe you're losing a little bit on the ROI just temporarily, but you're doing it as an overall system play. I could see that. Or even for big companies, they might want to start doing that too. Well, and they do, you know, big big companies that have exposure to Bitcoin, they are certainly looking to get into mining so that they can defend their position. Because, you know, I mean, you hear it all the time, right? Like there's a ton of hatch rate in China. And there's a ton of hash rate in other places. And while I don't think that the Chinese government is going to step in and take over Bitcoin's hash rate, it's a it's a non-zero chance, right? I mean, if you're going to buy a house, you're probably going to put a security system on it of some some sort, right? Like you want to protect that investment. And it's the same thing with Bitcoin. You know, you want to have the ability to have some control over everything. I mean, that's why people run nodes. You know, it's it's not just this like cool participation trophy. It's allowing you to to really participate in Bitcoin's blockchain, which I mean, the, you know, the, the coins are cool, but the technology that's that's underlying those coins is really the, the important thing. Yeah, I see. And so let's say that person is new and they come to Compass Mining and they're like, okay, um, I want to buy a miner. Like, what does that look like? And then what's kind of the process there if they want to you know, buy a miner and set that up in one of the uh, Compass Mining facilities? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, if people come to our site and they want to buy a miner, we have a great sales team that will guide them through the process. Uh, I mean, our site is automated, so they can certainly just do that all on their own. And right now we have bundles that are available where people can buy a machine and it comes with a 12-month hosting contract. We've got those offered right now in Russia and in Canada. Uh, And then those change with availability, but it's all very straightforward. Right, you have the ability to uh, to get out of fiat and get into Bitcoin. You can pay with you know credit card or bank transfer and spend your fiat and get into something more more appropriate. Um, Or if you want to spend Bitcoin, of course, we'll take that as well. And you're able to buy the machines, buy your hosting contract. And then once everything is set up, your pool account and your wallet, you're mining. Nobody ever touches your coins. Everything goes directly to your wallet. We simply bill you for power every month and you pay that as you'd like. uh, And you're, you're mining like anybody else would. Fantastic. And so um, if you could maybe outline, so I guess that example where you actually had some Compass Mining customers who ROI'd from, was it October? And then I think they ROI'd in February because of obviously the crazy you know bull run that went on. But let's say it wasn't such a crazy, crazy bull run. What kind of ROI periods do you think, are, like what kind of ranges would you say? Like, are we talking a year or a bit more? Generally a year to, to 14 months. That's kind of our benchmark. I mean, it's, you know, it's not anything that's able to be promised or guaranteed, but that's when we're setting it up. That's what we're looking at, right? 12 to 14 months in these kinds of market conditions is, is our aim, right? Yeah. We want people to be able to see that and continue to scale. Yeah. And I guess if people get lucky, right? Like, let's say someone buys in now. I mean, as we speak now, what is it? 55K or so. Someone could buy in now. And then let's say later this year, we hit some crazy bull run up to like 250,000. Well, then they're going to be ROIing really quickly then. And then who knows, maybe then it crashes down to 50,000 again. So then, you know, they might have to deal with that volatility as we all do in the Bitcoin world. Absolutely. I mean, it, look, it's it's a, a very real factor that that is the, the gift and the curse of Bitcoin, right? Uh, the beautiful thing is, is if you're just looking at a way to stack sats, this is great, right? Because you're able to basically, how I look at it is you get paid your your fiat from, from work. You invest that into mining. Every month you're spending fiat on your power bill. You just keep accumulating the Bitcoin, right? And on a long enough time preference, you're always going to make money. It's been proven. Like No matter the price of Bitcoin, if you buy it today, 10 years from now, 
you're good. So if you're able to do this and use this as a way to just get out of fiat and into Bitcoin, why not? You know, you hear the argument all the time, like, well, what if I just bought Bitcoin? But then the cliche comes in, like one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. So if I buy one Bitcoin today, 10 years from now, it's still one Bitcoin, you know? But if I buy a mining rig, I'm literally just going to keep printing Bitcoin for as long as that mining rig is running. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And so I guess the real good point is once you have ROI, then you're basically in kind of a it's all gravy baby situation, right? Because now it's just bitcoins coming in and you know free and clear obviously you're paying power but it's just other than that it's just it's all pure profit at that point yeah and i mean the the roi is a mental thing right because it, it gives you this like warm and fuzzy feeling but in reality all you're doing when you're buying a mining a piece of mining hardware is you're looking to generate that amount of bitcoin in return um but chances are like, you're not gonna you're not going to sell it and put the fiat back in your bank account, right? It's just going to be this like mental thing where you're like, oh, I've made my money back on my machine. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something that it's a very important hurdle to overcome. Now, if you're mining at scale and let's say you're borrowing money to buy rigs, okay, different thing entirely. But if you're a small miner and you're getting started, let's say you invest, you know, five or $10,000. When you have five or $10,000 in Bitcoin, especially in this market cycle, it's not like you're going to liquidate that, right? You're just going to you keep mining and let it keep accumulating and just feel good about the fact that, you know, sound it was a sound investment yeah it's funny as well because i think people thought that older miners would kind of eventually like older mining equipment would eventually just become not worthwhile right like it's not even worthwhile plugging in but i've heard at these current price rates and the current difficulty people are plugging in s9s and they're still like which is really old mining equipment for listeners who are not familiar but it's like this funny world where now old mining equipment is actually still viable right Listen, if you have any mining equipment, plug it in. Like right now, it's just everything is making money. Uh, the Bitmain S9s, which you know are now five, six years old, um, they're making bank, you know? Depending on your power price, you're doing really well. And I think the break-even power price on those is like 11 or 12 cents per kilowatt hour, right. which is crazy if you think about it, considering that like during the summer of 2020, people were literally paying, like if you would pay shipping, people would send you as many as you would take, right? And now each of these machines is selling for three or $400 and they're ROIing in eight to 12 months. It's crazy. <laughs> so I guess, you know, it's a, it's like, it's like that equivalent of, um, what's that saying? It's like, uh, you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out, right? It's like yeah. you, there might be a lot of people out there who are on these really old mining equipment and with bad power prices, but still profitable for now. And that's the crucial part. For now, they are very um, you know, profitable. But then who knows in if, if difficulty rises or if, if the price tanks, that's where things get a bit more difficult. So I guess it's also important to think about um, getting electricity deals because the typical home mining person might be paying a lot more in electricity compared to the kind of if it's specifically sourced as part of a data center, mining data center, where you get a specific rate at five cents or six cents per kilowatt, right? Out, yeah. yeah, it absolutely is. It's it's critical to be in a, a favorable contract. You can't really mine at home, right? I'd, I'd never advise anyone to mine at home, especially if, if you're married. There's like nothing <laughs> more repel. Like ASICs are wife repellent, right? Like it's just they're 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 loud. They draw a lot of electricity. They're hot. They're it's it's just nothing that's favorable to run in your house. Uh, which, you know, for us is a big reason why most of our power rates are basically passed through. Like we're not, we're not in the business of like adding crazy markups on power because it's, it's really, it's critical for people to get those rates. Like what you're paying for an ASIC is important. What you're paying for power is equally, if not more important, because that ensures the, the longevity of, of your machine. You pay, I mean, especially with like the newer machines that are very efficient, your power rate makes a, a pretty significant difference, you know? Six cents versus seven cents is a game changer in any market. Uh, so, you know, it's it's very important to be looking at that. Yeah. So let's say that hypothetical new customer, they're walking through, they go to compassmining.io, they, they, you know, they purchase a machine and then the next step, I guess, is probably looking at a facility, right? So you could um, talk through like some of the options around that and like how do they kind of get the machine to the facility and then get it all hooked up? Yeah. So for us, I mean, this is kind of a funny analogy, but prior to Bitcoin, I, I worked at a, a website called puppyspot.com, right? And there we were an online dog brokerage and we spent a lot of time screening breeders because when you're buying a puppy, it's like a, it's a part of your family. So, you know, if, if I'm buying a dog online and I don't get to meet the parents, I don't get to see where it's raised, you know, 
I need to know that I have a trusted third party that can do that. And that taught me a lot about, you know, the buying experience as I was coming into Compass. And with Compass, we do a lot of due diligence on these facilities. We make sure that they're properly screened. We either have machines at them or we know customers that have machines at them. We've done interviews, uh, virtual tours. Uh, we're making sure that this is a facility where we would put our machines, right? Because if we wouldn't, there's no chance that we would put other people's machines there. And uh, you know, as a part of that, once they're able to list on the site, we will then roll those into bundles for people who are new to the space. So if you wanted to come onto Compass and you wanted to buy a machine, and let's say you just wanted to buy one, uh, that machine would already be pre-allocated to a facility. So like the T-17s that we have for sale that are in, in Canada, right? They're at a facility in Winnipeg. If you buy them, the machines are already there. They don't have to ship. You don't have to wait. They you know, will switch over to your wallet address after purchase. And then you're mining Bitcoin. You know, you'll get the serial number. It's your machine. It's already at the facility. You don't have to worry about anything. And that's generally how we try to operate. Gotcha. So it's kind of already there. And that way you're getting a fast setup as well, rather than spending the time waiting for shipping, especially during all this COVID uh, drama, uh, might take more time to get over there and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, Logistics can be a challenge. You know, you've got machines that are coming from China. Uh, I mean, especially if they're going to the States or to Canada, you've got customs you have to clear. You've got the shipping times. There's potential for delays, it's, we would much rather have them be at the facility because then it just makes for a better experience for people who want to start mining. Cause you, I mean, like when you buy, you want to start mining right now. Yeah. Right. So, so we want to help you do. Yeah. You don't want to leave money on the table there. And when it comes to mining equipment, uh, why the what's miner and how are you thinking about the different, um, you know, brands and different pieces of equipment out there? Why the what's miner M30 plus, right? Yeah, the the what's miners are I, I would say, but they're by far the most popular. They're the most requested, um, but they have their production is has decreased. I would say, or maybe not decreased. Maybe they're they're just sold out. They don't have as much available inventory. So a lot of people are now turning to the you know back to Bitmain um, because of the recent transition in their leadership. I think they got a lot of negative press, but you know the machines so far that they've been putting out are great. We're not you know we're brand agnostic. Right, we want people to have what they want, uh, and then we we want to steer them towards machines that are reliable. And at this stage, from what we've seen, really anything coming out of the What's Miner camp has been super durable, very profitable, and the newer Bitmain machines have also been great. Yeah. Okay. And so I guess also from a reliability perspective, um, what happens then if you know you buy a machine and it starts to break down and you need maintenance costs on it or you need to replace it? Like, what what's the kind of process in that case then? So now all the, the manufacturers provide warranties, which is great. So generally across the board, it's 12 months. Um, older machines, you know, those are more bespoke based on the seller's wishes. Uh, but if you're buying a new machine, generally you're going to have a 12-month warranty on it, which is great. Okay, yeah. It used to be six months, but everyone's kind of stepped up their game. What's Miner set that standard, now everyone's reaching for it. Right, yeah. It's funny. It's like you see um, even car manufacturers, they compete on their warranty as well. So some, I think it was like some of the German manufacturers, they recently went up to, I think, five-year warranty. So then some of the other ones had to go up to that as well. So it's kind of an interesting, that's like another area where they are, the mining manufacturer, mining machine manufacturers are having to compete on that level as well. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more insurance products that come available for people who are buying ASICs. I think this is something that we're going to see more and more uh, because the the current process of, of returning these, uh, it's a bit clunky and it takes a long time. So, you know, I think we're going to start seeing people that are going to compete over being able to provide the insurance products for, uh, for people who are buying ASICs. Yeah, that's an interesting one as well. So how are you thinking about some of these more, I guess, financial products that are coming out into the mining world, whether it's insurance or maybe other uh, use of financial products, maybe whether it's loans for new miners and things like that. that. Is that something you're starting to see more in the space? We are seeing it more in the space and I'm super bullish on those. You know, anything that that gives more financial options to miners, I think is a, a great step towards legitimacy, right? If you look at any other commodity, you've got the, you know, the futures contracts, you've got uh, different loan products or financial services that are available to people who are, you know, producing commodities, whether it's, you know, loans for farmers or people who are uh, mining gold or whichever commodity you'd like to use. So those being offered to Bitcoin mining is just a further step. It shows the maturity of the industry. And I, I really think that it's going to actually bring some stability to the market overall. 
Right, and there's also been a little more discussion because I think historically the discussion was, oh, see, miners have to sell some coins for their operating costs and so on. But then it seems like that narrative is almost changing a little bit as well with some miners coming out and saying, no, see, we're actually getting fiat loans and using fiat credit to fund our operating expense so that we can keep on holding Bitcoin. Has that been the experience you've seen from your discussions in the space too? Yeah, it's, you know, I tend to look at these larger miners and do as best as I can to figure out why they're thinking the way that they're thinking. Right. And there's no one that's more long Bitcoin than someone who's invested a hundred million dollars in infrastructure. Right. And this is the mindset that they're all starting to adopt. Like, I don't want to sell my Bitcoin. I just want to keep borrowing fiat and I'll deploy fiat. And, you know, that way I can I can see the appreciation and the value that the asset that I really value, which is Bitcoin. And, you know, that's why I kind of talk talk like that as well you know on a monthly basis spend your fiat on bitcoin mining equipment so you can get out of it and into bitcoin because that's what all the big guys are doing you know um and i think we're going to see that continue yeah it's interesting how uh the conversation has shifted and part of that is i think the availability so maybe in the past it wasn't as easy to get a fiat loan for these things but maybe now it's becoming a bit more feasible for some people yeah it is and i mean we had the black thursday event which is actually almost it's almost been a year since then, right? Uh, and that was basically due to, you know, cascading liquidations across the mining space, you know? Um, and that was traced back to, to loan products that were out and people who were just over levered. But I think that that actually created a, a that, that was a, an event that needed to occur to help people get a better perspective on how to properly use those tools. So we're seeing now this year, um, people that are, they're just, they're hip to the game, you know, and they're not selling their Bitcoin. And that that dried up uh, sales side is really, I think, what's contributing to the positive price action that we're seeing. I mean, you see these big buys coming in, but it's supply and demand. You know, nobody's selling. Doesn't matter how many people are buying, the price is going to get higher and higher. So yeah, and the, that whole conversation as well around how you know, if you think a long term holder is bullish, well, long term miners are even more because they've put in a massive investment in terms of capital cost, ongoing operating cost. And so if we're thinking more objectively, really, long term miners are actually even more bullish on Bitcoin than, say, a typical holder. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like there are people who have invested hundreds of millions of dollars in infrastructure, right? We have public companies that are, I mean, DMG just announced that they did a $70 million private sale to, uh, to raise raise money to buy equipment, you see a lot of the American companies. I mean, hundreds of millions that they're they're investing in infrastructure. Um, and I mean, if that doesn't indicate that somebody's long on Bitcoin, I don't know what does. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also a good, interesting sign to see that mining is distributing a little bit more around the world. Right. So uh, this is more of a narrative in earlier years of, oh, it's all in China and China could shut it down and blah, blah. I mean, even though that wasn't 100 percent true, because it's more like there are miners all over the world and they might be pointing some of their hash power to mining pools who are headquartered in China. But that doesn't necessarily mean China controls those miners because they can repoint somewhere else. Right. Uh, and uh, what's your view on kind of how that's going to develop? over time and what, what kind of the current state of that is nowadays? So, I mean, the, the hash rate is distributing. We're definitely seeing more hash rate, you know, in North America. I think as we see more North American pools emerge, uh, we'll see, you know, even more of a distribution. But all the manufacturers are in Asia, right? Like the, the fabs are in Korea and Taiwan. All of the Bitcoin ASIC manufacturers are in China. I mean, some have, you know, manufacturing centers outside, but it, it's basically... Asia centric. So we're going to keep seeing growth in Asia because they have first crack at all of the hardware. You know, when hardware goes on sale from a manufacturer, they open it up to the Chinese market usually a week or two before they open it up to the uh, the Western markets. So that's an edge. You know, I th hopefully we see a manufacturer emerge in the states that can you know that can help get another boost for the Western hemisphere. But it's it's a stretch, I would say. I, I don't think we're going to see that in the next five years. Yeah, I see. Uh, and as I understand, it's also about the having that ecosystem around it as well, like not just the manufacturing, but how do you repair it and the logistics and all these kind of pieces that kind of have to work together to make it a, a, a good system and a good place to maybe quickly set up and get your mining equipment going in a North American setup as opposed to the China setup, let's say. For sure, man. I mean, it's also very cost effective and, and very fast to get a mining farm set up in China. I mean, you can stand up a really good facility for a fraction of the price and a fraction of the time, right? I mean, they've been doing this for a very, very long time uh, and they're good at it. They really are. Like they've earned the edge. You know, I, I know a lot of people may not like to hear that, but these, 
the Chinese miners, they're not there by accident. It's not like just because they're next to Bitmain, that's all they are. Like they're, they're skilled. They know what they're doing. Uh, and they, they really have busted their ass to get this edge. And like, you can't fault them for that, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, totally fair points. And um, certainly I think you, you know this industry a lot better than I do, right? Um, and also might be a good spot to talk about, you, you know, Compass Mining has grown a lot recently. You did a raise recently. So tell us a little bit about how that went down. You know, it was a very exciting, uh, exciting time for us. The the raise was it was a learning experience for us as a company. Uh, we were able to align with some great strategic partners. Galaxy Digital led the round, and we had Coin Shares involved. Uh, Amanda from Galaxy Digital and Meltem from Coin Shares were both gracious enough to join our board of directors. And I got to say, learning from the two of them has been it's been epic, man. Like getting to pick their brains, uh, it's it's been great, especially for me as a you know a first time founder and CEO of, of a company like this. Uh, but, you know, I think that the, the coolest part about the raise is that we were able to align with people who have a desire to gain exposure to mining, but are, are really just trying to, to find their way through it. You know, when we're talking to people like CoinGecko or, you know, Zach Prince from BlockFi, we're seeing people who, who want to get involved and are trying to figure the space out. And, you know, Compass, we just, we make it an easy, trusted partner for people like that because we've been in the space for so long. Um, and for us as a, a founding team, it was, it was validation for sure, right? Like anytime you have people who have found success or are, you know, leaders in an industry that are willing to put their stamp on you, uh, I mean, it makes you work harder, but it's also incredibly validating. Yeah, I mean, it's great news for you guys. I think um, it's, it all bodes quite well. Obviously, we're you know going through this kind of crazy bull run up. So we'll see a lot of demand coming in uh, in everything. And as we say, you know, basically everything in this space is indexed to the price, right? Hash power, you know, downloads, uh, users, wallets, developers, like everything, basically. So yes. uh, I wonder then, um, you know, what, what are some of the things you're looking out for as Bitcoin takes to, uh, goes to that next level? Yeah, for us, I mean, when it comes to where Bitcoin is going, I mean, I, I just moved to Miami because I'm excited about the things that the city is doing. I think that the things that I'm looking out for are areas where I can support the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? Like for, for us as a company, we really like are, we're, I mean, we want everyone to see, know, hear about Bitcoin, you know, whether it's supporting podcasters that are doing great work, whether it's, you know, working with people who are, trying to help grow small communities in the space, whether it's moving to a city just because they say, hey, we're going to accept taxes, tax payments in Bitcoin. We do everything that we can because like we're staking our future on Bitcoin, right? So if we're going to like talk the talk, we got to walk the walk. Um, and that's really what we're doing is we're just always keeping an eye out for anything that we can do to support the ecosystem. Uh, because we, I mean, it, it's the most important thing that's ever happened in my lifetime, right? So I'd be negligent, frankly, if I didn't throw a full weight behind everything that's, that's going on space yeah that's fantastic and um I, I think it's probably a good spot to close it up here um but uh i think you know you got it sounds you know to me like you guys are going from strength to strength and uh i want to make sure the listeners know where to find you online so where can everyone find you so on twitter i am at bitcoin broski uh it's a, an old throwback to the, the anon days uh, and then you know for compass you can just go to compassmining.io get on there we'll help you get set up and start mining Fantastic. Thank you, Wit. It's been a pleasure to chat and hopefully we can uh, chat in person if I, if, I get, if I manage to get out of here and get to Miami. Let's go, Stefan. I expect to see you down here for Bitcoin 2021. It'll be a blast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Coming up next episode, I have Luke Dasher. So he and I recorded a conversation about Taproot activation as well as SegWit. So make sure you're subscribed in your podcatcher application. Search Stefan Levera Podcast in Spotify or Pocket Cast or AntennaPod or whatever podcatcher application you use. And you can also find my website, stefanlevera.com slash 259, and you'll find the show notes for this episode. That's it for me. Thanks, and I will see you in the Citadels. Oh,